So good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for being here, and thank you to Richard and his team. Uh, my name is Bill Schoenbach. I'm with Aon. Uh, I know we're all that stands between you and lunch. I'm not sure if that's better or worse than drinks, um, but you'll want to stick with us. We've got a great group of panelists, uh, and I will let them introduce themselves. Brian, you want to start down at that end? Sure. Uh, my name is Brian DeLucia. I am the managing partner of Arivado, which is our single-family office. Um, legacy business, uh, land and building development. Uh, these days, uh, we have another real estate development company where we're acquiring quite a bit of land that already is developed, and we are building um, multifamily, mixed-use, master plan development sites out uh, throughout the southeastern states and Texas. And uh, we also, outside of real estate, uh, own some stuff in telecom, transportation, logistics, so forth. Hi, I'm John Preisler. I work at RH Capital. We're a single family office. Where our DNA is from a hedge fund, where uh, my colleague ran it for 30 years. And uh, when we converted to a single family office in 2006, the challenge was getting invested in other asset classes besides equity and debt. And so it took many years, but real estate is one of the challenges, and it's hard to do all in one shot. So over a number of years, we've gotten more invested in real estate, and it's still a focus for us today among uh, private co-invests, private equity hedge funds, et cetera. So thanks for having me here today. Hi, Camille Holmesy, GRC Investment Group, single family office out of Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Uh, my mandate is uh, heading the global global capital uh, allocation in uh, various countries. We invest in uh, real estate, in renewable energy, waste management technology, and also in medical device. We invest direct and we co-invest. And uh, I am here to learn today from the colleagues and also from uh, uh, the audience. My name is Greg Kadara. I work for CGI Strategies, which is a single-family office. We invest in multifamily, uh, mostly in New York, LA, and the Southeast. Uh, we have a portfolio that's around about a billion dollars, and we're still acquiring in Los Angeles. Um, we both co-invest and uh, invest ourselves. Hi. Hello. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Marco Soriano. I'm from the Soriano Holdings. It's a family, fourth generation family office. We were the founders of the San Miguel Brewery, for those of you that are fanatics of beer in the world. Um, we were also the founders of Philippines Airlines. Most recently, when I took the job as a CIO and co-chairman of my family, I've been pivoting towards a more balanced uh, portfolio with technology. So we are one of the early investors in the project Hyperloop. For those of you that know the super speed train and AI robotics, we're the ones that put uh, Sophia the robot around the world, if you've seen that. And most recently, I'm reviving a motorcycle manufacturing company that we used to have in 1939 with an electric superbike model. And obviously, real estate is about 55% of our portfolio, not exactly all of it, like most people I think are doing here, but just to have a good balance. Thank you. I got it. 
Uh, Josh Coulter, uh, head of acquisitions on behalf of a second generation family uh, with a background in investing in multifamily, hospitality, and office. Okay, thank you guys. Um, let's take the introductions one step further. If you wouldn't mind, please share you know, a recent case study, um, investment allocation that you made, how it was source structured, uh, all that good stuff. Camille, you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, uh, recently, as recent as the last four weeks, I bought a secondary position in uh, an office building here on Madison Avenue in New York. The deal came through the uh, law firm that represent the family. Uh, the family had uh, inherited a large amount of money from their first generation and they were planning to make a switch. So they were leaving New York, they had sold two assets, and then this uh, particular uh, sliver was uh, uh, located in this uh, office building. Um, the, you know, you go through the usual. You uh, you ask the uh, the uh, the attorney, and also they had they uh, consulted with a secondary broker. I asked him about the circumstance. The circumstance we all know, just like a gentleman uh, mentioned earlier, is there a death? Is there a divorce? Is there a partnership problem, or it's only a change of lifestyle? And this particular case, like I mentioned, was a change of uh, 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 lifestyle. And uh, you have to make sure that there is, uh, uh, Bill, a, uh, um, expectations of a discount. That when you sell a sliver, it comes always with the discount. Uh, you have to be fair and you also have to judge the deal on its own merit. This is Madison Avenue. This doesn't happen every day. So uh, you come in, if you, go, you, if you are going to get greedy, you're going to lose the deal. And if you be too generous, then you become the fool in the market of where, where your colleagues will say you overpaid. Very fine You'll line. get a ton of deals. <laughs> <laughs> Many people will be calling you. So that was a recent situation uh, uh, that uh, immediately, uh, uh, when, there is, when there is a meet of the mind, the, the first thing to do is immediately to designate the best of the best of uh, appraiser company, have access to the uh, to the uh, books and records through the asset management, property management, and also find out the type of contracts existing with third party uh, uh, service providers and also if there are any labor or any other sensitive contracts that might uh, affect the valuation. You build your team and the team definitely has to be of local uh, um, you know, uh, uh, advisors, uh, if it is on in the environmental issue or whatever the case might be, um, you definitely reciprocate with the law firm that brought you the deal by keeping them on board and not betraying them and going to a different law firm. Uh, you keep your you keep your uh, 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 relationships in check, and you lead the deal to closing. It was very smooth. The family was happy with the offer. Everybody else said, Camille, you got a good deal. I don't know if they're saying the truth or not, but I know I got a good deal. Um, so we're building a mixed-use project in, uh, in, the, uh, in La Brea, so in LA, a couple blocks away from LACMA. Uh, we started acquiring the land. It was an assemblage of four plots. We started acquiring the land in 2015. We put the first piece under contract, closed in 17. Um, we're building 230,000 square feet. Um, the concept for us is a built to core because we're, we're building all type one, which is concrete. We're hiring a star architect to do it. Uh, we're building 125 hotel rooms, 121 units, and 9,200 square feet of retail. The site is adjacent to a new uh, subway station being built, which is going to connect uh, downtown to Westwood. 
So we expect a lot of foot traffic and we expect the retail to actually do really well there, uh, especially in an environment where retail is known to be quite tough. And uh, two other family offices invested with us. So it was really, it was a club deal. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I can add something to this. So I mentioned that most recently we're reviving a motorcycle manufacturing plant, which in Spain was the number one. It was the first one ever founded. So now I'm looking for facilities where we're actually going to be manufacturing. So we're looking at companies that have been in the business in bankruptcy and buying them out of bankruptcy. And this is kind of the strategy. So we're, we're, we're finalizing this by, I think, the end of November in Barcelona, where we will be producing and manufacturing motorbikes, electric motorbikes, once again, um, in a country that suffered a lot from the economic downturn. So. It was quite the bargain, and negotiating with the country itself or the European Union in this case particularly allowed us to have a good tax incentive in return for the next 20 years. <laughs> Our criteria in, in real estate, we're looking at buying assets or equity over $100 million, commercial real estate with tenancy of at least five years unexpired leases. So if that's something that you have in your portfolios and you want to get rid of it, Please talk to me. Thank you. Um, along those lines, is there anything um, perhaps cycle-specific, new strategy, you know, late-stage cycle that you guys have seen that is notable um, recently? So we've seen, we do a lot of B apartment buildings where we, as an LP, we work with a partner that fixes them up and repurposes it and jacks the rents, essentially. We've seen the market is so competitive in B that you can actually get better deals in A buildings in multifamilies because there's just too much money chasing B. So there's a little bit of an arbitrage of now people selling B and, and rotating to A. That's one thing we've seen. Um, one thing I could add is just on the development side, a lot of it's just philosophy. You know, I think uh, one of the challenging things, especially when you're have uncertainty, you know, and a lot of people talk about, well, when's this cycle going to end or when's this cycle going to transition? And um, one of the things that, you know, with our philosophy is with land, for example, we're all cash buyers. Uh, so we have no debt on our land. And so, so part of that is, you know, when you do go through any type of cycle change or let's just say something that happened like you know, 12 years ago, 2007, 2008, uh, when we had that major downturn, you had a lot of people that were sitting on, you know, non-revenue producing land that got caught. Uh, you know, so we have no debt service on anything in our pipeline awaiting construction starts, number one. Number two, uh, unlike I think a lot of developers in the marketplace, we actually control our budget. Um, we don't outsource every, you know, anything. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are outsourcing uh, quite a bit of the process, and we actually handle, you know, all our own engineering. We, you know, and then we actually uh, oversee the general contracting. So as a result, you know, uh, when the market is normal or when we're in a up market cycle, certainly that's allowing us to pull out venture capital-like economics out of our projects. 
but on the downside of a market or if you go through a distressed you know period of time let alone let's just say you know if we would happen to have another major economic meltdown um, we're in a position because our cost basis is so low and our margins are so wide that you know we have that downside protection to be able to absorb that uh, so that's you know and there's a couple other proprietary things that we're doing as well that um, you know provide those economics but that you know downside protection as well so for us it's just you know philosophy in terms of how our process works Camille, uh, my perspective on the on, on your question is that uh, we always say in the family office it all depends on your AUM. If you are if you are in the hundred million dollars, your your mindset in today's market at this at this cycle, with the language and with the uh, conversation that's taking place on the economic and the geopolitical level, where people sometimes have have fear and other times they have more courage. The, uh, I'm finding that the uh, families that have uh, a larger asset under management and uh, uh, more, more accessibility to capital, they are preparing for the bargains. They are preparing for a plateau or for an adjustment in the economy where they will be buying, getting bargains. While the smaller families are going out of the boundaries that they created for themselves in the last two years by saying, we only do direct, which I do not see unless you have the cater of team of analysts supporting such a statement when you say, I only do direct. If you are, if you are in the 50 to 200 million dollars and you only want to do direct, how many investments can you have and how much liquid can you leave on the side? So uh, I'm, I am seeing different, different mindsets based on AUM and skill sets. That's great. Craig? Um, the last, two, last deal we put under contract was, came through a JV, and that's what we're seeing. And we're working on another one as well. And this is very difficult right now to acquire anything. So in, in the southeast where we um, do value add, very difficult to find a deal. As my colleague over there said, Bs are almost priced above As sometimes. You have to pay to do value add. Um, and so we have two deals coming in through JVs. Uh, one of them is an extended stay uh, in Westwood, and, and another one's in an exurb. It's a 400 unit uh, ground up development in an exurb of Los Angeles. And that's what we're seeing more, and that's how we're actually acquiring land because right now the basis is just unworkable. Josh, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I was just going to echo what John was saying. I think we've been we've been sellers of of in our portfolio of the B product as well, and um, really pivoting to looking at a lot of the core and core plus product. And and we're not necessarily chasing opportunities on deals because a lot of times they're in too tertiary of, of an area for something that we would like. But um, a unique thing that I've seen the past couple months that have been presented to me have been some Class A construction deals that also happen to overlap in an area that's been designated in OZ. And so it's something that we could hold on our portfolio for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And that's that's something interesting because you get the inherent tax benefits, uh, but you're not buying into uh, an area that you're looking to reposition. Right. We've seen a lot of clients focus on opportunity zones as well for a variety of reasons. Um, but switching gears for a quick moment, I want to ask you guys about rep and warranty insurance. Over the last year or so, we have seen significantly more adoption 
um, you know, of rep and warranty insurance in large-scale real estate transactions. So granted, many of those users have been uh, funds looking to uh, return capital to limited partners or you know, wind down a fund in a relatively clean manner. Uh, but I'm curious to understand what extent, if at all, uh, you have seen this product serve as an effective substitute for a sizable escrow. As an LP, we haven't had this issue. Um, we're usually doing single property. We're not doing fund structures, so it, it hasn't come up. On the private equity side, I do not see that uh, uh, implemented or, or uh, uh, factored into my deals here in the US, but uh, uh, definitely it is a major component when we do international deals, especially on infrastructure. Uh, and, uh, recently on, on, uh, on deals that we uh, uh, worked in Africa, one in Ivory Coast and the other one was on the opposite side in Ethiopia, we definitely factor the uh, bringing in uh, uh, Lloyd of London, which is over there uh, uh, the, the leading company um, that, that provides such uh, uh, coverage that uh, we, factor, we factor their, their presence and their, their coverage in order to protect uh, ourselves. We don't have any partners, in mo in not only in most, in all our deals unless it's necessary. So uh, Lloyd of London has been my uh, 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 to seek insurance company. He's from Mayo. I, I did, I, I, it's OK. I, Lloyd's Bill, provides the you're capacity. You're selling your product, right? Lloyd's provides the capacity. But yes, I'm Bill, absolutely selling Bill, my product. Bill, Aon, Aon is for everything domestic moving forward. We should have said Aon. Exchange business cards. <laughs> and the panel already pays for itself. Um, don't let him ask, then I'm talk anymore. <laughs> so uh, next lunch on me, Bill. It's <laughs> Let's talk interest rates. Um, given we're at near historic lows, have you guys taken advantage of refinancing across the portfolios? We're refinancing everything. We're, we're, we're expecting rates to definitely go lower. I mean, there isn't any way that the, the way the, the economy, the currency war that we have been hearing and the trade war with China is going to be uh, managed. So the, the best way to manage the dollar would be through my, you can't manipulate the currency anymore, number one, which that's a big mistake, what has been said in the news in terms of China manipulating our currency because the three biggest buyers that we've had since 2013 have been Macau, Singapore, and Norway in amounts of $100 billion. So that decade that everybody still refers to as the currency manipulation has ended with China. So we need to kind of see past that. And the only way is fiscal policy in the U.S. by lowering the rates, which is what the current administration with Trump is trying to do. We, we uh, actually had... Uh two closings this morning on refinances of some of our assets back in Pennsylvania. We've been prudent, I would say, the past 24 months. We've been using a lot of the agency longer-term debt anyway. Um, when it makes sense, we've, we've been refinancing. But um, a lot of them, we were already at a good basis, and the spreads haven't really been tightening as much. I mean, we've seen the rates come down, but we've, we've had some pretty favorable rates um, with our, some of our long-term 10 and 12-year fixed rate things that the agencies came out with. So we were, we've been in a pretty prudent position already. 
Thanks for that. Um, what are your thoughts generally on the rise of digital securities? Um, I've had some interaction with a couple of firms. Um, Templum is one. Uh, they proved the concept last fall by successfully tokenizing the Aspen St. Regis. Um, there's another firm out there called Red Swan that's specifically focused on commercial real estate. Templum is uh, on to bigger and better things, although I did have a call with them this morning talking about a triple net lease portfolio. Um, but I'm curious to see um, to what extent you guys think this is going to impact um, your businesses going forward. You did your homework on us, I think, right? Because we participated in that that deal with the San Regis Hotel. I think I think this question came up after Aon joke. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, you guys Karma. are teaming up now. <laughs> so that was successful, and we're trying to do a tokenization of different real estate assets, especially in the Caribbean. So we're we're also involved as shareholders with the Milia Group, the hotels uh, from Spain which is about 350, and we're aiming at 400 by 2025. And what we're doing with these new developments is tokenizing part of the, of the units so that it's, allow, it's allowing for that current infrastructure of blockchain and cryptocurrency holders to, to buy a piece of the units. Right. And it's, but it's also the secondary liquidity, right? Yes, yes. Um, so we're doing that with real estate, and I'm doing it for the first time as a test with the motorcycle manufacturing company in the form of an STO, and that's going to be launched, uh, we're, we're guessing, in March of next year. Can you drill down on that a little bit more? Sure. So security token offering, it's basically taking an existing asset in the case of the facility that we'll be buying the manufacturing company or the manufacturing plants. We can tokenize each one of those assets, including not only the real estate, but the machinery that will be used for the assembly line. And the investors can own a piece of that in terms of or in the case of a liquidation. And the STOs that you're looking at in the U.S. on the regulation D or A+, it's, it's, it's geared towards protecting the investors so that they have either a share revenue piece of the actual asset or, or they own directly into the equity of the company. So we're, we're testing that out. If it works out for me, I suppose the next time, next year that I talk here, I can tell you it worked out or it didn't for that specific asset. But with the hotels, it's definitely... Um, attractive to um, cryptocurrency holders, especially Bitcoin and Ethereum, that want to sell and to own and owning an actual asset. Yeah, you, you provide access, right? That's not necessarily available to your average retail investor, um, right. and you also, from a seller's perspective, um, oftentimes are able to bypass, you know, the illiquidity discount, right? So you're really benefiting both sides of the house. Um, it's been a fascinating space to be involved with, and I don't think it's going anywhere. It's happening. It's happening. I mean, if you're a developer and you're looking for fiat, you can you can cash this you can cash this money out <laughs> by using infrastructural systems like Ballyhoo, for example, is one where the crypto investors buy into the units and you cash it out, and you use the fiat to continue construction. So this is one of the things that we're doing in, in Punta Cana, where we see that there's. Uh, devaluation on the properties because of all the news, as you you all remember, people were dying and and they were talking about alcohol being uh, a problem down there. So 
it depreciated a lot the the assets, and we're involved now with buying more land. Opportunistically, yeah. um, any other experience on the panel with the? Uh, I come even though Marco and I we are personal, personally good friends. I come from the opposite side of the spectrum. I'm a big believer in blockchain, in the application of blockchain. Actually, three years ago, I headed the team that represented the United Arab Emirates as a government to Singapore to coordinate with them because they were leaders in implementing uh, uh, blockchain into their maritime shipping. And as you all know, Singapore is one of the top three ports, uh, shipping and receiving in the world. Um, uh, because of our keen interest in implementing uh, uh, blockchain. And since then, in almost in, I can say in all, all our ministries, we've been implementing blockchain into record keeping uh, for our uh, uh, population count, for, the, for a lot of data, for uh, uh, land, land title and for land recording. And uh, uh, due to the fact that our, our currency is pegged to the U.S. dollar, we do not, and, and due to the political security and uh, stability of the region of the GCC, of the six countries that count Saudi Arabia, Oman, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Bahrain, and Kuwait, uh, we don't see right now the, uh, the need for us as a government to be, or, or on, the, on, on the family side, to be involved. Um, Due to the due to the restrictions that are that are on hand, but uh, blockchain definitely is there to stay, and we are you know big supporters of that. So, from my perspective, um, we looked at raising money using this, and we just didn't do it because we didn't know who was on the other side, and I think that's really really important. But from my humble perspective, I think you're going to see companies like Facebook take over the space. I thought it would be Amazon first, but I thought that buying a coin as a token into an exchange that hasn't really existed yet, but that might exist. Uh, I don't know. But I know that, that Libra is probably going to work. If Amazon did it, they have, what, $80 billion of sales a quarter. They have an ecosystem. They can issue a coin. And I think what's interesting about that is that they're issuing zero coupon debt, which is why I think I'm very bullish on Facebook, because they can issue $30, $40 billion of debt at 0% interest rate. It's like being in Denmark or something. I think that's really, um, I think it's really, really powerful for them. Uh, looks like we only have about 90 seconds left. Um, so we'll keep this one brief. Um, but let's talk quickly about the rise of real estate PE. Um, do we think that's a, a positive trend? Is it contributing to a bubble? Um, any comments? You have to sell your real estate to someone, and if they want to pay a high price, that's great. <laughs> With that, any questions from the audience? Um, anyone on the panel, if you, when your deal comes across your desk, if it has the word opportunity zone to it, does it get you any excited, or is it just another deal? Yeah. I can also, um, certainly we see a lot of them. I, I, I don't get excited by the word opportunity zone. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of them that are just very, you know, mediocre plays that normally you wouldn't touch. And 
uh, you know, where it's like, thir- you know, 13, 14, 15 percent returns. Um, I mean, I look at them like, you know, would any other transaction if they, you know, pencil out uh, with, you know, you know the, the opportunity zone aspect, the tax aspect of it is kind of that cherry on top of the Sunday at the end of the day. Like we have three of them right now that we're actually uh, one of them we're definitely pursuing. It's like pretty substantial project and uh, some of these projects generate you know you know north of 30 percent returns which typically a lot of them i would say 90 percent of them that are coming across our desk you know are set are like in those mid-teens irrs and just to me that's a little bit or way too uh, thin of a margin especially when you consider our traditional, you know, development projects, which, you know, we're getting, you know, double the, you know, triple the return. So it just for us, just to t- chase the tax benefit, you know, we have other methods that we certainly have employed over the last 20 years on that aspect. Camille, you want to send us home? Yeah. I, uh, uh, I like to, to, to answer the question for the gentleman by saying uh, uh, opportunity zone is not for everybody. And it is not strictly a real estate play. Uh, the government had uh, initiated this whole legislation here in the U.S., and our interest in it is because we do have members of our family that have dual nationality. So they have they have stocks in the U.S.A. and they have other real assets that they can they can take out their capital gain, and we can deploy it into an opportunity zone. And that's really what initiated my interest. Just to be clear, but. Uh, uh, the other side of the opportunity zone is the people that live there. And if you look at the data for us, ESG and, and uh, impact investing is very important. And actually, I put it in every deal I negotiate. This is part of my initial negotiation or conversation opening with any sponsor that offer me a deal. Uh, uh, I like to tell you that the people that live there uh, if you look into the data, this deal, this legislation should be about the people. This is not about the rich getting richer or about someone who made $100 million of capital gain to save 15% in seven years and then exclude the taxes thereafter if that business survive. And if the, if, if the two consecutive legislation expected in the USA in 2020 and 2024 do not change the uh, uh, the tax rate, the, the capital gain tax rate. So there are there, there is a lot on the table. Just remember that there is between 50 to 60 million people who live in those 8,762 census, and that they are mostly people of color. There are people of they are people of low income. The only nine percent of them have have transition hub. Only five percent of them have an emergency center for someone to take his injured child or for a woman to deliver a baby. So, and, and, and the kind of cost for, for living and transportation and housing, I mean, all that is staggering for the people that live there. So anybody who wanna look into the opportunity zone, please look at it with two separate eyes. One is for making money and don't expect to make money, like I hear numbers 18 and 20 and 30% and 40% on opportunity zone, that means there is no impact factor in it. You are not serving the community. Get involved with the elected uh, uh, officials of the, of the, of the zone. Get, get involved with the community leaders, and God bless America. <laughs>